you found our podcast again, and we're grateful. Danny's right there, Wexelman. Darren, I'm right here, Sutton. And this is a podcast episode after episode devoted to the amateur game and simply put to the college game most of the time. You guys are close to making a decision. And D, you outdid yourself on this one. Paul Skeens at Air Force is, um, there's so much to love. His dedication to sport, uh, his dedication to country, it's unique. You would never, and, and I hope I don't offend anyone with this, as an Orange County kid myself, I can say it, you would never kind of stereotypically say, yeah, whenever I think of a guy who really is dying to get into the, to the military and serve our country, I think Orange County. You just don't put those two together. And that's what I think makes Paul, his family background, and then his baseball skill set so amazing. He's a two-way player. He probably could have gone to a lot of different schools and he chose the Air Force Academy because he has family who served and we talk about that, but he wanted to continue that tradition on. And that's, we could end the story there. You could say period. And that's all you need to know about him because I think that speaks volumes. But the conversation we have with this guy, I found him because he's a PG preseason college All-American. He's on that team as a utility player. He catches, he's a right-handed pitcher. And he reminds you how important it is I think to what it means to wear the letters across your chest and to watch this kid rise up. He's so humble. I, I tried to get him to, to brag about himself. It was a no-go and I wouldn't have it any other way. It was awesome to get a chance to talk to him and he's special and he's putting Air Force on the map. That's super cool. And, and he's a huge reason for that. Real quick, who he was last year, 26 and two thirds innings, throws up into the high nineties when he's right, 26 and two thirds as a closer. 30 strikeouts, didn't walk anyone, didn't give up hardly any runs. As a hitter, he slugged 697, and he had 11 home runs, and just incredible what he was able to do last year on base of 486. So uh, All-American player um, is going to have decisions to make. You know, there is a five-year commitment once he earns his degree, but I, I think there are ways to have those conversations, and he was quite transparent about it. I mean, quite he, he wasn't hiding from the fact he actually said to us, which I loved. Yes. I actually think about the draft and pro ball a lot. And I like that honesty. And, and I, I thought it was best. And I appreciate you doing this just to take a little bit of the slice of pie from, from Hunter Pence and I show, which is moving to streaming and perfect game TV, uh, perfect game, college baseball, but had a chance to talk to coach Kaz, Mike Kazlowski, the head coach at air force. So Kind of going all in, and his perspectives are pretty deep as well. I'm no surprise, right? I mean, pretty darn deep. He served at the academy, casted, made it clear I wasn't grown up enough. I wasn't committed like Skeens was. I just wanted to play some baseball. Ended up at Air Force. Now he's so devoted after you know serving his country as a member of the military. So, Kaz is incredible. He's part of this conversation from Perfect Game College Baseball, and then you nailed it. You patiently awaited, and I appreciate you doing the interview. You did a one-on-one -on -one with Enrique Bradfield, who is an elite speed guy, and went up over the 40 stolen base mark last year at Vanderbilt, folks, and uh, was on the outside looking in a couple years back as a perfect game All-American. Uh, I loved my conversations with him over the last couple of years. I had a great interview with him two years ago. I love who he's become. I can't wait to hear your interview. I, I knew it would pay off to be patient because – what he did as a freshman, all right, he's SEC freshman of the year. That's great. SEC first team, all defensive team. You mentioned the stolen bases. The single season record for Vanderbilt is 51. He's going to surpass that. I'm calling it right now. And the conversation is surprising. He is really thoughtful. And you can tell that he is really transparent about what it was like coming to Vanderbilt and kind of the shock factor of what it means to be a Vandy boy. And now he is going to be a sophomore and be able to kind of put everything into practice and build upon what he's done. And I'll tease you here. I asked him about his Jersey number because I read about it. I thought I knew the story. I didn't know the story. His answer about why he wears number 51 shocked me. And I assume it's probably going to shock you. Yeah. I'm excited to hear it. I really am. <laughs> Good family. I mean, really, really good family. Um, mom and dad, really good people. Enrique Sr. and Jenny uh, met them through the years as well. So great get, great get. This is a heck of a podcast. David Ronsley, Perfect Games Vice President of Player Personnel, um, kind of did a, a sit down and almost in the, in the confession room 
And he took up quite some time talking about, you know, Terry Park and the, the great players that went down there in January. So some guys that are ready to shock in the upcoming high school seasons, David Ronsi will, will take us there. Um, you've done it. You've done it. Let's start this thing because Danny has done it with this one. This is a great, great amateur hour. I'm so excited because Enrique Bradfield Jr. is hopping on the podcast with us and we've been trying to get you your hot commodity. You had a giant freshman season, SEC freshman of the year. The accolades are long. You go on your bio page, man, and you're looking at so many different accomplishments that you have. But if I know you, I know you're already looking ahead and you're hungry for what's next for you. But I, I do want to circle back a little bit because it's funny. We've been talking about the decade of the 80s on MLB Network Radio. I host on that channel. And during that time period, stealing, stealing bases was the hot thing to do, was the cool thing to do. Ricky Henderson, right? Breaking records left and right. And now you are coming up in one of the most, if not the most competitive, you know, you're coming into this conference that is all eyes on you, right? And you go out there and you're coined a pest. Usually when we say the word pest, it's got a negative connotation, right? But when you hear that you're a pest and literally your presence on the base paths causes pitchers and causes everybody to tense up a little bit more, how does that make you feel? I love it really. Uh... It's kind of why I play the game. I play the game hard and fast, play the game to win. So anything uh, to disrupt the opponents and uh, anything I could do, I'm, I'm there for it. I want to learn a little bit more about this because, again, I feel like the art of base stealing is lost right now. And we see it more on the college level. But I want to start with how you specifically train to be a pest, to encroach on stolen base records. Um, I did read that you have the most stolen bases in a season of any player in Coach Corbin's career. The single season record at Vanderbilt's 51. You were right there last year. So I'm sure that's something you'd love to accomplish along with getting your team to Omaha. But walk me through what you're specifically doing in training to work on speed. A lot of it is uh, is preparation, I would say, when it gets to base, base pass. Um, when I'm not on the bases, a lot of it is uh, sprint agility work, time spent in the weight room, really, uh, quick accelerations. There's a lot of different factors that go into it. Running technique is, is probably the most important out of uh, all those categories. If I'd have to say, focusing on running technique has, has actually very like helped me um, impact my, my base stealing. And it's just watching, being able to go back and watch certain clips and uh, just study what, my movements are some of the movements of, of the greatest uh, base dealers of all time and, and things of that nature. That's all been able to help me go out there and uh, execute my plan. Can you share some of the names of guys that you watch or that you've studied? Yeah, uh, Ricky Henderson is, is a good one. I love watching Billy Hamilton. Watching Billy Hamilton uh, run the bases is definitely special. I would say those those two are, are the main guys I watch, and uh, I just watch them to to get a get an idea of what they look for, um, and from film, whether it's their their breaks, their takeoffs, their accelerations. There's a lot of different things I can uh, I can work with by just watching them. How much film are you watching? If you had to give me a pie chart of practice film weight room, anything else that you would include with a practice or involving baseball? Like what's the pie chart when it comes to film study? Um, I think I, I pretty much say I do it in my own time. Okay. I do most of my film when it comes to watching guys like that in my own yeah. time. Okay. Uh, the film we do here is, is obviously on our opponents and the tendencies they have and uh, just preparing for, for whoever's next whoever said to um to step across from us on the field and and that's kind of how how I focus here I take it one day at a time and I, I move very slow and I make sure I'm focused on on one person at a time and don't get too far ahead of myself have you thought about how you're building this skill and your the skill is something that I think your name is is 
tightly attached to right now. And it's awesome because I, again, like I said, I feel like it's a lost art at the major league level. And obviously that's something that you'd like to get to a goal of yours. I'm sure to be drafted, make your debut and, and play a long career in the big leagues. Do you feel like this is something you can take and apply to, at the major league level that maybe will give you an advantage and maybe people will look at you in a different way because you have the skill that is dying right now? I think it's always going to be um, attached to me. Uh, it's something that, that, like you said, is a, a dying, a dying trade and not too many people have it. And the fact that I have it, I think is, is something that helps me stand, stand in uh stand alone really. And I, I want that to be a, like a part of me for as long as I'm playing this game, no matter what level or where I'm playing. I think that's uh, something that is a huge part of, who I am on the field and um, I'll never really try and get away from that. I love that. I love hearing that. Do you, did your teammates give you a nickname? Do you have a nickname that revolves around that at all? No, not really. Not um, yet? <laughs> one that the fans have given me and I kind of, uh, kind of taken, taken some part is uh, Godspeed. But other than that, oh. that's about it. I would say. Okay. I look forward to that. I feel like there's, there's a name that's got to start to get attached to you with that because I, I don't know, it's a joy to watch. I absolutely love it. And I think, as I said, it's missing at the major league level. And I think that if we can get more of that there, I think the game would be much more exciting. So I look forward to the nickname and I wanted to talk about junior, you're a junior. So I want to, I want to talk about senior uh, and, and hearing about seniors impact. I know that your dad played and I I just want to kind of hear your relationship with him. So tell me his name and tell me about how you guys have grown together through baseball. Uh, Enrique Bradfield senior. He, uh, he introduced me to the game at the age of four. Uh, One of the most impactful, if not the most impactful person, as far as uh, who I am and uh, why I play this game. It was kind of just with him. I, I fell in love with the game and he taught me everything I, I know from a young age. We're built a little bit different. Uh, my dad has a, he's 6'3", two, he played at 6'3", 225 when he played. So okay. much bigger <laughs> than me. Um, I get the, the slimmer frame from my mom, of course, but uh he was, was an outfielder as well, uh, a corner outfielder. He was still pretty fast, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't think he could compare to me. <laughs> and uh, I know he swung it pretty well as well. So in a race, it's no question you're beating yeah, dad. No question. I would say uh, better, better competition for me right now would be my sister, but Ooh. she's uh, a couple years removed from playing college soccer, so... I'm still going to take her. Wow. Okay. So tell me, uh, tell me mom and sister's name too, and anyone else in your family and the competition, it sounds like game night is a heated night. Does that happen with you guys? Yeah. Uh, the rare, the rare times that we are home together, all four of us, uh, my mom, Jenny Bradfield, uh, just as impactful as my dad, she's kind of the she's the, the straighter parent that's kept me on a line, uh, making sure I'm, I'm doing what I need to do. Yeah. Um, but I, I love my mom for that. She pushes me and she always has pushed me to be a, a better person and, and be, be what I can, what I know I can be. She's always told me to make sure that you remember who you are and, and mm-hmm. what you do and why you do it. So uh, I love my mom for that. And she's been a tremendous help in my life and my sister as well. Um, she's 20, I want to say 24. So she's uh, four years older than me. She played college soccer D1 at American University. And um, she was uh, the um, player of the year in her conference, the offensive player of the year in the American League. So uh, she was a special player out there, too. And just having somebody to help me through this process of being recruited from high school and, and just turning into growing as a person and going to a, a new place and starting a new journey in my life. She's been the biggest help. I know I know I could always reach out to her. Uh, we're closer than ever. We pretty much talk as much as we can, like all day, every day. I wow. would say talking to my sister uh, and it's just us two. So we have each other's backs and uh, that's what that's what uh, siblings are, are for. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome to hear. But you you'd take her in a race. Is that what you're saying? Uh, now I would. Yeah, there's no question about that. <laughs> when I was younger, uh, she would she would uh, 
take me all the time and uh it would frustrate me and and motivate <laughs> me to get faster but uh yeah there's no question now oh I love that okay okay so we're 14 days out from the first game of the season coming right coming in hot right around the corner what does life look like right now as you guys prepare to get back to Omaha life is busy uh between classes of course uh that's that's the priority it's is getting in the classroom and and getting good grades and uh competing academically before stepping out onto this field but it's really just preparing ourselves uh for the for the the long season really we're uh making sure that our bodies are feeling in a good spot and uh we're preparing as a team and we're just getting out there every day just to, just to be with one another just get a little better every day and then uh we compete when it, when the time comes. How are you feeling? I feel great. I haven't felt better. I feel strong. I feel fast. Probably the best um, health I've ever had in my life at this moment. So I'm definitely feeling in a really good spot. I'm eager to get back out there. Mm-hmm. I miss yeah. it. It's been a while uh, since I stepped on a field, but uh, the time will come and, and everything will, will be right where it needs to be. Yeah, it's close. It's close. I, this podcast will drop soon. So it'll be even closer to that first game. I'm sure the excitement surrounding it has been kind of fulfilling you, as you said, along with class and the student athlete, you know, I, I think it's harder than ever today to balance all of that with social media. And now you guys are able to, you know, sign deals and, and get, have sponsors and whatnot and NIL, you have all that. I mean, there's so much more that goes on with being a student athlete. Do you ever sit back and think it's, a little it's a lot or do you just take it in stride how do you take everything that you've got to do every day I take it pretty well it's like uh I know what I signed up for (laughs) and uh coming into this environment I knew exactly what I was stepping into uh there was no false advertisement in my recruitment here everything was laid out for me and I knew what what type of environment I was getting myself into a high intensity high demanding environment and uh I was ready for it it took some, it took a, a huge learning curve for me, but once I got a hold of it, it was, it was pretty good for me. And um, I love it. Honestly, there's no place I'd rather be right now in my life. Uh, I'm the happiest I've been. So that's a, that's a good thing. That's important. That's really important. Mental health and, and everything that you're trying to balance. I think that that's great to hear. You sound really good too, and you look really good. So I I love to hear that. And I think that that's a staple we've come to learn from Vanderbilt, right? Vandy boys, we know what it takes to compete, to be at this program. And Kumar Rocker was at this program. I saw a photo of you two, and I wasn't sure about, you good? Yeah, I'm good. You're good. Okay. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure how close you were, what your relationship was like, but I wanted to ask you if, if he was someone who maybe took you under his wing or kind of helped you sh- show the ropes a little bit. Definitely did. Uh, I still talk to him pretty much almost every day here. Um, I give him a call, pick up the phone, just uh, sit there for like 30, 40 minutes and, and just talk. Wow. Uh, but pretty much last year coming into a new environment, I had I'd heard obviously how intense it was, but you really never realize it until you're actually in it. Yeah. Uh, and the game sped up on me a little bit, and it, it took uh, it took older guys like Rock, uh, Cooper Davis, Hugh Fisher, just to get me to calm down and uh, just to turn it and dial back and and just relax. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember he was like, "You're gonna play a lot of baseball here, so you just gotta take a deep breath and relax and let it happen." Uh, can't let everything try and uh, go too fast on you. That's great advice. I love to hear that. And now, you know, as you start to get a little bit older and you can step into some leadership shoes, maybe you feel more comfortable doing that. Um, what do you look forward to from this season with Vanderbilt? What are you looking forward to? Uh, just growing with the team, growing with the guys. We have a, a long list of young guys who I think are very fit to step in and uh, impact the game for us as well as all the returning guys. The returning guys basically did everything and saw everything there was to see last year. So we have a great like deal of knowledge that we can spread on to the young guys who haven't been a part of the journey. And that's the that's my favorite thing really is uh, just being able to talk to younger guys about experiences and help mm-hmm. them out throughout their process. Like that's something I take pride in and I take joy in because they did the same for me last year. So I just want to be able to give that back to our freshmen that haven't 
haven't been a part of the journey yet. I only have two more for you. Is there a team motto this year or something that you guys are kind of talking about that you think might carry you through something that motivates you a little bit, a song, a lyric, a word, anything? Uh, that's a hard one. Specifically, we spend a lot of time dancing. We're this, <laughs> this group of guys is uh tell me fun, uh charismatic group. And I think the freshmen have a lot to do with it. Their uh personalities are all shining bright and and they love it. So uh it's kind of opened the older guys up to have have a little fun in the locker room and we spend time down there even when we're not we're not training or uh we're not even really like we don't have to be here, but we are here and we'll, we'll spend time together and just have fun. We'll watch sports. Uh, we'll, we'll play music and, and we'll just have a good time. So who gets uh, the auxiliary cord? Who's, who's controlling who, the cord in, in the locker room? Calvin Hewitt. It's a great one. Um, Cal is a great one. Javi Vaz also very good. Okay. I take it sometimes. So I would say us three are the, the main guys <laughs> I love that. Okay, my last one for you is your jersey number. Tell me the number that you wear and why you wear it. I wear 51 and I wear 51 because uh coach Tim Corbin assigned it to me. <laughs> and uh yeah. Why? So I'm not the person that uh knows the significance behind why I wear this number. Wow, really? Every player in uh in Vanderbilt history. We explain that. I, I can't explain it more than uh, he assigns pretty much every jersey number that goes in this program. Every player that comes here um, gets assigned a jersey number when they arrive, and uh, that's your number for the rest of your career. He assigns the numbers? Yeah, and I will never so ask him. Wait, my mind is blown right now. Okay, so it's not for Willie McGee, or is it for Willie McGee? I have no idea. I can't tell you, but yeah, there's no decision on my part to wear that number, but I love it. I, the number grew on me and uh, I love, I love stepping out on the field every time for it. You can rock it. You can rock it. Willie McGee had 352 stolen bases in his career. So yeah, not bad. Not too bad. All right. Okay. Well, that's all I got, man. I appreciate your time so much. Like I'm so excited to watch you and watch you grow with this team, but I'm excited for Vanderbilt to see how they come back and, and how this team is able to answer what didn't happen last year and move forward this year. So I'm excited. I'm grateful for your time so much. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you and it's always nice seeing you. Yeah. Everything goes well in 2022 for you. Yes, dude. Thank you so much. Have the best day. Have a great season. I'm sure we'll talk again. The career scout, the great rider, and the friend of baseball. I mean, that's what we call him. He's got to be. What a, what a joyful man around the sport, David Ronsley. You know, he used to go to Terry Park and see guys like Carlos Correa, recalls it vividly, Carlos Correa at the World Showcase. Well, there's a whole new wave of those guys, and their names are Soto and Valentin, and I'm shy about six or seven players that he's going to dive into in the scout size segment. I'll just leave you with this because David won't say it. Alex Valentin had to put up with a little bit of negative backlash for whatever reason on social media for wanting to come to a showcase. And Alex, you showed them. David, take it away. Hi, this is Dave Ronsley coming to you from Fort Myers, Florida, where we have just concluded another World Showcase. I don't know, this is the 20th, 22nd. I don't know how many World Showcases I've been to. I've seen great performances, Zach Greinke all the way to Carlos Correa. But we saw a new all-time World Showcase performance today by Charlie Soto, the 2023 right-hander, threw an all-time best World Showcase, 96 miles an hour today. And he threw a couple of them too, sat 93, 95. Very good slider, very good changeup. This is one of the top 2023 pitching prospects in the country, Charlie Soto, remember that name. Had a couple other really strong pitchers today. Luis Rujano um, from Florida, you've all heard about him. He was a PG All-American, had a solid two-inning outing today. 90 to 93, had improved the slider a bit. Changeup is still his second best pitch, but Rujano was very, very good form today. Looking forward to a big sprint. We also had a big surprise today, another 2023 Alex Valentin, a left-hander from down in the Everglades. We hadn't seen him very much. 
He came out, was 89-91, touched a couple 93s. The ball just jumps on hitters. He's a six-foot left lefty with a strong, fast arm, really spun the ball well. But that's a name that really jumped out at us today, Alex Valentin from Everglades, Florida. And you'll be hearing more about him. And I've got four position players I want to highlight. Uh, Nomar Diaz, the first one, a young catcher from Puerto Rico. He happened to catch Charlie Soto and did it like a pro. Uh, he was the best defensive catcher here. Really calm, easy defensive actions and a really nice bat, a high average, high contact at bat that really plays well. Uh, second position player, young man by the name of John Smith. John Smith, a common name, but with big physical tools. An outfielder who runs a 6-7, um, really swung the bat well, had, a, had an easy, strong stroke, hit a couple balls really hard to right center field in the games to show his bat speed and power. And of course, Zach Stewart. Um, Zach Stewart, a big third baseman from Missouri, uh, ranked 120th in the country, one of the strongest left-handed hitters in the country. And you can tell he's gotten even stronger from when we saw him last summer. The body's a grade better, and he hit some balls right on the numbers, both in BP and during the games. Really big performance for Zach. And then finally, my sleeper guy from here, Dario Sosa. He catches your eye right away, 6'3", 195 pounds, loose, but not really strong body yet. You can see the projection from Connecticut. That's why I don't think we've heard about Dario Sosa yet, but we will. He can run, he can hit, he had three hits in the games, really, really good game swings and very athletic. It's been, Paul, really fun to do a little bit of digging on you and try to piece some things together. Paul Skeens joining us, a utility player, catcher, pitcher for the Air Force Academy and your name stood out to me, Paul, because you're on the perfect game preseason college All-America team um, as a utility player. And so I found your name, started to do some research and, I, you know, the military is near and dear to my heart. And just the fact that you have spoken so excessively about service and committing your time in that way, but you're also really good at baseball, <laughs> really, yeah. really good at baseball. As Darren said, you probably could have gone to other places, but this was important to you to find a place that fit with two goals. And I, I heard you talking about how either way, whatever happens, you get drafted and you serve like both routes for you are a win. And so I wanted to go back because the, the military stems from family members, right? Uncle Mike and Pete served um, in the Navy. Uncle Dan served in the Coast Guard. So just to start, tell us about those people in your life and the kind of influence they had on you. Um, yeah, so all my uncles who serve, uh, they're, they're my mom's uh, brothers. So I've always kind of looked up to them. Um, you know, two of them went to the Naval Academy. One of them is teaching at the Coast Guard Academy right now. Um, so service has been something that has uh, kind of been something for me that's that I've grown up with my entire life. Um, so I've looked up to them ever since I was, I don't know, probably like 10 or 12. I've, I, I originally wanted to go to the Naval Academy. Um, so I went to a camp out there, came to a camp out here uh, during high school and, and kind of realized that the Air Force was a better career path for me. Um, you know, met Coach Kaz, Coach Forrest, Coach Raysinger out here and uh, fell in love with the baseball program out here too. So um, honestly, like it was kind of a, uh, everything just kind of worked out perfectly for me to come here um, as I went through high school. That's awesome. I, I love to hear that. And as far as paint us a picture, because I, I have never been on a campus of uh, Air Force, Naval Academy, anything like that. So I'd love a picture of wh what does life look like off the baseball field? And like, are you flying? Are you like, wh what does it entail day to day as far as that goes? Um, yeah, so we, on a day to day basis, it's pretty much, we go to class, we go to lunch with our squadrons um, and then we go to baseball practice every day um season's coming up so we'll start playing games but um and then we have some other stuff mixed in we have some some briefs we have you know we're going to talk to uh certain generals if they if they're in town they'll they'll come and talk to us um but on a daily basis it's you know wake up in the morning um kind of get breakfast go to class and uh and then go to lunch and then come down to the baseball field and uh at that point it's it's kind of off to let us do whatever we need to do, um, you know, study, 
work out, practice more, whatever it is. But um, there is an emphasis on on training the freshman class here, uh, which I think is probably the biggest difference between here and, and kind of a, a, a normal school, I guess you would say. Um, so that's something that that's kind of mixed in throughout the day. But uh, I mean, that's pretty much the main difference for me. So, Paul, this will be a huge responsibility of yours. You're not a freshman anymore. You're now have moved on into your second year of school, training the freshman, being a leader. Look, even on the baseball side, aside of the military commitment, you're you're a team captain. Sophomores aren't supposed to be team captains, but you are. Leadership for you becomes very important, especially starting kind of this year, right? Yes, sir. Um, that was the biggest difference for me, uh, starting from the first day of school. Uh, it was a weird transition, I would say, to come back from summer ball and then kind of just go straight into, uh, I, I, I'm a coach now, uh, which means that I have one person directly under me uh, per semester, basically. So I'm in charge of them. I make sure that they're doing their stuff right. And I uh, kind of lead them in a, in a one-on-one relationship, I guess you could say. Um, so that's the biggest emphasis for us as, as sophomores. Uh, with how how our leadership progression uh, happens, um, which has been a, a huge adjustment for me, and, and not only that, but but becoming a team captain, and now I'm in charge of of 35 guys, you know, down at the baseball field, and making sure we represent ourselves well to the academy and and beyond. Um, so that's been a huge honor for me. Yeah, and it's earned. I mean, it's earned. Coach Kozlowski came on um, one of our radio shows. I guess it was in the summertime, Paul. It was it was really cool. I mean, it was a really great conversation. I gave him 21 minutes, and don't you know, he took all of them. I mean, he's your yeah. coach. You, you know he, he's a passionate man. But uh, he did brag on you, and he shared a story of – it was kind of a story of leadership and, and courage a little bit amongst your peers. It wasn't something where you were off, you know, the academy's campus. But he shared a story about, you know, early on you dealing with standardization and evaluation, making sure that everyone's room is is and their area is up to up to standards. And he said a couple of times without giving names, he said you had to at times even challenge an upperclassman to say, hey, listen, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. It doesn't meet our standards. How tough is it to do something like that? How, how difficult is it to do yet? How much do you feel led to do something like that? I think um, so the way we do room inspections is we call them AMIs, they're AM inspections. Um, you basically just go, if it's your job, which it was last semester, um, we go to people's rooms and we check on them to make sure that they're up to the standard um, because we have a, a big rule book that, that says, you know, what our room has to look like throughout the week and that kind of thing. Um, so it's our job as standardization and evaluation to keep each other accountable. Um, so again, like coming back from from summer ball where everything was very laid back, um, I kind of got thrust into that immediately. Um, you know that that was my job last semester, so I uh, saw it as my responsibility to to make sure that people were doing their stuff correctly. Um, and then another thing is like I kind of see it like when when you inspect someone's room, you write their score on the door uh, and you write who scored it. So I I felt that. If I was going to put my name on there um, and score their room, if somebody was going to look at that and look at their room and be like, um, you know, he gave them a 98 or whatever, uh, then that I, I believe that reflects badly on me too. Um, and I want to represent myself and uh, the baseball team and ultimately the academy in a, in a positive light. There's so much going on from what I'm hearing. Your days are so busy. When do you find time to be an outstanding pitcher and an outstanding hitter, right? We're seeing Shohei Otani. Darren had the pleasure of calling many Angels games last season and watching that in person and just a unanimous MVP, right, for the for the American League. And now, you know, you are coming up and doing this, but you're also um, in the academy. You're also a captain. You're a sophomore now. You're a, you're a person. You're a student. You're, you're probably doing social activities, maybe, if you have time for that. But can you, like, I want to hear, like, hour by hour uh, what, what the day looks like. I know you mentioned kind of the schedule, but give me the hour by hour and and how difficult or maybe not difficult it is to try to work on your craft on the baseball field. 
Um, yeah, so I'd say every day I'd wake up around 6.15, 6.30, um, put on my uniform, get ready for class. Uh, occasionally, we'll, we call them minutes in the morning where the freshmen line up in the, in the hallway um, and they yell out the minutes for the day, which is a, basically a scripted thing that they have to memorize. Um, so they, they say what the uniform of the day is, what the meals are, that kind of thing. Um, so sometimes upperclassmen have to go to that. Um, and as a, as a coach last semester, I had to go once a week. So, um, went to that, made sure the freshmen were, were doing what they needed to do. Um, and then I go to breakfast, go to, go to class for three or four hours, usually, um, lunch is at 1130. Uh, so by 12, I'm pretty much free. Sometimes we'll have uh, noon meal formation. That's Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So we form up, uh, and March to lunch. Um, so that'll go until like 12, 15, usually. Um, then I go down to the field around one, one 30, I'd say stay down there until six or so. Um, and then eat dinner and go back up. Uh, so I, I think the thing that I've learned, um, that sounds like a lot, but honestly, like as, as I get into the, to the rim, the rhythm of it, um, especially learning how to do it your freshman year, it's kind of knowing how, how to be present, like where you're at. Um, because it takes a lot of work to be here, but, um, to be able to pay attention in class, um, and then work hard while you're at the field and then do your homework to prepare for the next day's class, uh, whatever it is, like if you're present in the moment you're at where you're at right now, um, then I think that makes it a lot easier to be a cadet here. So it sounds like routine actually enables you to be your best and that some being so regimented is allows you to kind of excel in every facet of not only being uh, in the military, but also playing baseball and having a dream of being drafted and being a big leaguer, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say uh, when we start to travel and when we get out of that routine, that's when it becomes hardest. But um, I think the stronger that our routine is, um, the easier it is to, to kind of keep up with what's happening at school. It's interesting. So if in fact you are playing at the level that you're playing, you are, I mean, and that's good for you. Then in a couple of years, there'll be more decisions to make. You know, there is the five-year post-graduation commitment that is part of, you know, going to your fine institution. And you just, I, I might get in trouble by you because you just informed me how much you've grown and being in the moment. This is not an in the moment question, but there's no way you can't tell me you haven't thought about it or reflected upon it. Um, of what that might look like when you have your name called in the second round or the first round, I want to undersell you, understanding that five-year commitment. Now, I know it's something that you can discuss and negotiate based on career opportunities with your leaders. I mean, you know, you know better than I, but as I understand it, that's correct. Do you even level off how that might look in, in two years? Do you even think about that? Um, yeah, I absolutely think about it. Um, Good I don't for know. you. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is right now. Um, but I do know that, uh, I mean, every day here isn't easy. It's not fun to be here all the time, but, um, I like to say that it's, it's a worthwhile experience and the relationships that I've made here are, I don't think I would be able to make them anywhere else. Um, and I, I did come here to serve. I do want to serve, uh, you know, I want to play baseball and I'm going to work to, to make that happen for myself. But, um, I think whatever happens, I'm. I'm at peace with whatever happens. Um, if they decide that, you know, if we, if we enter a war in, in two years and they, they decide that I can't go play baseball, you know, that's a choice that I've made and I'm, I'm okay with that. But um, so whatever happens, I'm, I'm at peace with it. Yeah. Understand that an answer like that tells me you have thought about it. I, I don't ever buy in on the one who, I hate to say it because I was a dreamer once too. And I played professional baseball without your, you know, your military commitment, but, thought about it all the time, you know, and, and, you know, when I got up in the morning, when I went to bed at night, um, Paul, let, let's talk baseball because I, I I'm pretty good at doing that. I, you know, you as a pitcher talking to an old minor league pitcher myself, so you can be descriptive. Um, how do you get out? So what are your key pitches? Who are you as a pitcher? And I can read scouting reports about you, but I'd rather hear from you. Why don't you give me your best scouting report of who you are? Yeah. So honestly, it's been, uh, kind of a journey for me of like self-realization um, of who I am as a player. 
because uh, I feel like I've developed over the past year um, a lot more than I did in the two or three years leading up to that. Um, and just learning about pitch design and, and you know, how my fastball plays, how my changeup slider plays. Um, uh, I've developed a cutter as well. So I've kind of learned, uh, we use Repsoto here, we use Trackman um, back at home. So uh, I've kind of, I've kind of learned that, that, you know, my fastball is a, is a higher spin pitch that to, to get outs with it, I, I need to throw it up in the zone and use my changeup to play off that low in the zone. Um, and then I've, I've learned how to locate those uh, to righty and lefty hitters, um, especially using my sliders to lefties, I think is, has been a big piece for me uh, the past year or so. Um, so I think it's been, I, I wouldn't say that I'm the same pitcher that I was six months ago or eight months ago. Um, and it's been kind of a, a journey of development and uh, learning about myself as a pitcher and how I can get out. Nothing worse than a flat slider. slider to a lefty if you're a righty, right? So they probably told you to go fastball changeup. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like at some point, you know, with everything moving away, because my fastball has a fair amount of horizontal run. Um, with everything moving away to the lefty, there has to be something that, that moves into them, uh, I feel like. So um, just adding that extra depth um, with a slider has been has been really good. That's disgusting for the left-handed hitters. Now, real quick before I give it back to Danny, you as a hitter, um, you're tall, long levers. I call, I don't know, Richie Sexton, who used to hit homers for the Brewers. He was, you know, very tall, six 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 seven. Dave Winfield, who's in the Hall of Fame, a, a tall athletic hitter. The levers are longer. Those are a gift for pitchers. They can be at times challenging for hitters. How have you kind of learned to control your height as a hitter? Look, I'm looking at the numbers. Your on base was almost 500. You hit a bunch of homers last year. Um, how have you been able to be tall yet use your leverage yet not get long, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, hitting, it's just been like, again, a lot just learning about myself as a hitter, learning about how I move, um, and then kind of creating an approach based off that, um, which I think is is the one big thing that college teaches you. It teaches you how to have an approach. Um, so that's something that I've developed over the past year or so. but. Um, really like not letting myself get beat by the fastball in has been a big piece of emphasis for me. Um, and I think that I can see pitches pretty well, um, for the most part, you know, looking at the slider and, and that kind of thing, uh, from a righty. So, um, I think a lot of it's just been like, don't let him beat me with the fastball and, uh, kind of react to whatever he throws other than that. I kind of want to emphasize what you did this past summer, you played for the Cape league. You were part of the collegiate national team, things that, you know, I I'm sure you thought would be really awesome to do and your hard work paid off and you're wearing, you know, the, our country across your chest. And I, I you know, was listening to you talk about that and, and how humbling and what an honor that was. But now that, you know, you've had those opportunities to be recognized for your skills do you use that as motivation? And when we watch you play this season, because now people know your name, right? People know Paul Skeens. They know how to pronounce your name. They know who you are. They know what you stand for. But as far as just kind of growing in the game and being recognized for where you're going, where you're headed, in what ways do you use that for this coming season? I mean, I think that, I mean, we go to a lot of, of really good places this year. Um, and I think that fans are going to look at their, their, their team's schedules and see like, oh, Air Force is coming to town. Um, you know, they might research them, they might find me, whatever it is. But um, I think the biggest part is like, I'm, I'm one guy out of 35 men who have the same values as me. Um, so for me to, to be able to go out and represent the academy um, and the baseball team is amazing. But um, I also think that the other men on the team are, are you know, even more impressive than I am. Um, we have aeronautical engineers. We have six or eight guys in our senior class who already know that they're going to be pilots, um, who are going to be going to pilot training next year. And um, frankly, like what I've done is 
nothing compared to what these guys have accomplished and will continue to accomplish. So um, I think looking at that and where we're going into the next season is uh, it's pretty cool, you know, for me, but I also want, um, I want people to come to our games and, and see what Air Force baseball is really about. Um, you know, what we stand for and uh, kind of see our values as a team. That's a great answer that that is the right answer. And I appreciate it, but um, do me a favor because I, I was looking through your Twitter and I saw the video of stand in the door. So tell me and explain what stand in the door means and tell me how that concept is applied to your team. Um, yeah. So stand in the door is a saying that we have here at the Academy. Um, honestly, I never experienced that. I never got to jump out of a plane. Uh, which a bunch of my teammates did. Um, I haven't, I haven't gotten to yet. So maybe I will in the future. I don't know, but um, it's a, it's a saying that we have here. Like when you're about to jump out of the plane, they open up the doors and you're, you're standing in the door um, and you have two choices. You either jump off or you stay in the plane. Um, so that's something that I don't think we, we say it consciously a whole lot around the baseball field, but it's a value that we all have um, and something that we all think about um we're all competing with each other we have that mindset at the field um and and throughout our life like um you know we're standing in the door we're going to have the edge on each other like i'm i'm working to beat you um so i think that is probably the biggest thing for us like just kind of embodying that and personifying that uh that saying i would say so when i talked to kaz and again he's he's pretty real and pretty raw your head coach, he said the following. He said, I, I, I love turning or helping to turn because there's parents and grandparents involved. But he said, I love the concept of helping to turn a boy to a man and then a man to a warrior. Fair enough. What he said, does that make sense? Yeah, that's something that uh, he tells recruits when he has them out there. You know, he tells them to six. He tells that to 16 year olds when he's having them out on campus for the first time. Um, and that's something that he continues to stress to us. Um, and it's something that, that we can kind of see as we're here at the academy. He talks to our, uh, our officer leadership uh, all the time. He talks to everybody who is kind of in our chain of command to make sure that we're progressing as cadets and as men in, in the way that he believes we should. Um, but the biggest thing for him is like he holds us accountable. And that kind of runs down to the to the baseball team itself, our, our seniors hold our juniors accountable and our juniors hold our sophomores accountable and whatnot. So um, that's the culture that we have, uh, just holding each other accountable. If somebody's screwing up, we're gonna call them out. Um, and that kind of all stems from Kaz and, and the academy, I would say. That's very cool, that's very cool. Yeah, he, like I say, he, he blew me away uh, in the interview. When we talked, he said he wanted carnivores, not herbivores. That, that's, I'm sure you're allowed to eat salad on occasion. You know, I know, I know what he meant by that. But I do before I, this is my final question. I just want to meet your parents through your words. I want to, I want to meet Karen and Paul through your words. I'm an OC kid like you, um, you know, we grew up in the, we probably know a lot of the same places and areas out there, even though it's changed, but um, that's where you come from. Tell me a little bit about Karen and Paul, maybe with an anecdote. Um, yeah, so my parents uh, honestly weren't the greatest athletes. Um, so I think me, uh, coming from them is, is kind of just a story of support um, and them allowing me to do what I want to do as a, as a 10, 12, 14, 16 year old. Um, you know, they've helped me to, to kind of develop as a man, as a, as a baseball player, as a student, um, whatever it is, like they helped me to, to get where I am. Uh, even if they don't know how to, how to help me, they've found people that can help me. Um, so I've had a ton of good coaches because of them just kind of looking for people that can help me uh, to develop myself and, and continue to work. Um, yeah, I just, I remember a story from my dad, like I was probably 14 or 15 and uh, I was struggling and, you know, we went to the cage one time and he, he, he was upset at how I was hitting. Um, as, as was I, cause it wasn't very good. But um, he kind of said to me, like, just stop caring about what happens and just swing hard, you know, see if you can hit the ball. And um, that's something that 
I've always remembered. Um, it might be a minor moment for him. I don't know if he remembers that, but um, that's something that is that I think that kind of turned a gear in my head. It kind of clicked, flipped the switch um, to kind of just be the guy. Um, and that's something that they've helped me to become over the past 19 years. That's a great story. I love that story. Wow. I, my, my last one for you, Paul, because you know, you, you sound like an incredible teammate in every facet of the word, but are you proud of yourself and what you've accomplished so far on and off the field? Um, yeah, I would say so. I think I don't really look at it as, as what I have accomplished. Um, I kind of just view it as a day by day thing of, you know, can I get better today? Um, and whatever it is like baseball school, um, can I be a better leader today? Uh, so I think like on a day-to-day -day basis, like just getting better. If I look back, I'll, you know, there, there's been a lot of development over the past few years, but, um, I think honestly, I, I don't know if I would call it pride in like where I'm going, but, uh, I'm looking forward to what's ahead. I would say as long as I continue on the path I'm on, I would say. Awesome. So great, Paul. Thanks a ton, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Very Thank much. you, Paul. Perfect Game College Baseball is a transitional show. It was on MLB Network Radio, then Sirius XM's ESPNU College Station for a couple of years. Hunter Pence, my co-host, is coming with us in the transition. It's coming to Perfect Game TV. It's going to be a brand new on-camera streaming special each and every week. Perfect Game College Baseball uh, on Perfect Game TV. And in that vein, that's a shameless promotion. I apologize. But we've got great coaches on that show. Danny hosts that show sometimes. We're lucky to have her. But we had a chance to, to talk to Skeen's head coach earlier this year. And it just felt appropriate in having Paul on then to kind of go back a couple of months and listen to the words of his head coach, Mike Kozlowski, because these words are pretty impactful. Help me, help me and our listeners understand, like every interview we do with college coaches, we, we then will transition into summer. What does summer for the Air Force commit and the Air Force athlete look like different than maybe some players that can head off and play in the Cape and go play different places? What kind of commitments do your athletes have in the summertime that maybe are different than your traditional college baseball player? Well, uh, Darren, our school is definitely a whole heck of a lot different. Uh, us, West Point, Annapolis, uh, our kids are doing military training over the course of the summer. Uh, they do have a very limited opportunity to go play collegiate baseball. Uh, our incoming freshmen, uh, they definitely do not have an opportunity. We start basic cadet training at the end of June. That runs all the way through August. Uh, our kids that are currently on campus at that time that are our sophomores through rising seniors, they get about a three-week summer period of that's called their vacation time, their leave, which they can go play collegiate ball. Uh, we have a handful of kids. I do not force them to uh, go out and play collegiate baseball. Uh, every program, every collegiate summer pro league wants us because they know the quality of young men that they're going to receive. Um, and with that, uh, you know, we had multiple kids go out this past summer. Um, our main kid that went out to the Cape was Paul Skeens. He also had the opportunity to play with the USA national team, which was a tremendous experience, especially wearing USA across his jersey. Um, I think when you start thinking about the military academies, uh, Darren, it's such a different breed. Uh, our kids are here for a different reason. Uh, yes, we all want to win baseball games. Yes, we want to go to the College World Series. We want to win our Mountain West Conference and advance on. But more importantly, in my eyes, as an academy graduate, someone had the, the opportunity to play collegiate baseball here for four years, especially on the tutelage of pulmonary. Um, at the end of the day, we're, our job is to make warfighters. And these are just the proving grounds uh, between the white lines. And General MacArthur once said, on the fields of friendly stripe are sowing the seeds in our days and other fields will bear the fruits of victory. And once again, for us, it's a real simple process out here. Uh, our job is to, is to attack the game of baseball, but also attack the game of life because uh, the next game our kids truly play upon graduation from the Air Force Academy and from playing the last game on the baseball field, that next game is called war. And uh, we're prepping these kids for war and for combat. And that's kind of a cool mission that sets us apart from other schools. Um, but we have plenty of opportunity to practice. We have plenty of opportunity to prepare our kids. Uh, a lot of kids and parents have this misperception and this understanding that you come to the Air Force Academy or any of our military academies that 
they're going to do push-ups all day. They're going to run around with a rifle over their head. And, you know, I want to fly jet, sir. And everyone's seen officer and a gentleman and everyone's seen movies, but it is a college. Uh, we do believe in organization and structure and discipline. Um, but at the end of four years, our kids only get four years to go to school. We don't get grad transfers. We don't get a COVID year. Uh, so that was a concern for last year. We hear all these kids that we had limited major league baseball draft. Then along with the, the limited draft, you know, all these other kids are transferring the one-time transfer policy that does not help us because our application process takes about six months to get into this school. Um, so when you ask that first question about how are we thinking about last season, I was really worried because we're looking at teams that were having 50 some guys in the roster. They're having 50 or six year players where our kids after four years, um, we, we send them out the door. Now they walk across the stage, they shake their, hopefully the president of the United States hand, they throw their hat in the air in front of 30,000 people as a Thunderbird jet trip overhead. Their job is to go serve and fight. And that's the number one goal here is to make leaders and leaders of character. They're going to go serve and fight for the greatest country in the world. A long, long time ago, this is Coach Mike Kozlowski joining us, the head coach at Air Force. 551 games he has coached at this program, and uh, that's more than anybody else with, with what is a rich tradition a long, long time ago, you chose this for your life. And, you know, 20 years of uh, meritorious service, you have served our country, and, and we thank you and all your athletes for, for what they are about to do and what you have done. But you chose, as an Illinois guy, to go to Air Force, and you chose this as your life. Why? Uh, my dad was my high school coach, and uh, my dad hung, hung it up last year. Uh, after 58 years of coaching high school baseball, uh, he decided that it was time maybe to do something else, which uh, he gets the opportunity to come visit us a little more and watch the Falcons play. Um, but when I was in high school, I did well academically, athletically. Uh, I was a really good kid, and you know, I wanted to do something different. And not to knock other schools that were in the Illinois area, but you know, most of my friends are going to Northern, Eastern, Western, Southern, University of Illinois. And I wanted to, I was never average. I grew up on the North side, and I was a White Sox fan, so everyone was wondering why the heck are you a White Sox fan when everyone's a Cubs fan. So even at a young age, it was a little bit different. I wanted to push myself to see how good I could be. Um, this was uh, an opportunity that was presented. I'd never heard of the Air Force Academy before in my life. My dad being the high school coach, there was a representative from our academy that came in and talked to me for about an hour. And the only word that still resonates with me today is the word challenge. And I like that because I wanted to get pushed and I wanted to see how great of a person I could become and the academy will do it to you. Uh, I went through some, uh, some many trials and tribulations here. I struggled through school, uh, but I was very fortunate at the end of the day to walk my butt across the stage and shake the president's hand, throw my hat in the air, and, and had the awesome opportunity to serve our country for 20 years. I never dreamt I was going to be Tom Cruise and Top Gun and flying jets. That was not the goal. I could hit. So that's the reason I showed up here, because I could hit. Then over that culmination of four years, you start the understanding of the why. And the why is the big deal while you're here. That's the brotherhood. You lock arms together with your cadets uh, that you go through basic training with. You go through school. You go through the hard knocks here. And then when it's all said and done, you're ready to go put on our nation's uniform to serve, fight, and protect. And um, I wish every person had an opportunity to go through what we get to do. Uh, our kids get to jump out of airplanes. They solo gliders. They're doing survival training. They're jumping off 10 meters. They're punching people in the face in boxing class, learning arm bars, chokehold submissions in MMA classes. Uh, so we won't fight other teams. That's not going to happen. We're not going to get into bench clearing brawl. I mean, we're all Americans for the most part when we're playing. So there's no reason to get in a bench clearing brawl. Um, but even, yeah, our, our school is, is tough. And, you know, we're one of the most elite schools in the world. And with that, uh, academically, you're going through aero, astro, civil, mechanical, electrical, uh, physics, chemistries. I'm like, holy crap, I didn't really like any of those. But I knew I had to get those done to be able to play baseball. And I'm very satisfied with this decision. I'm very thankful that I did make it through the four years. And I owe a lot of that back to my dad and my family. Yeah, incredible stuff. Thank you for sharing your journey with us. And uh, Coach Kaz, I, I want to ask you about playing for Paul Maneri. We obviously adore who he is as a man, as a coach, and his different stops through the time after leaving, you know, coaching you. But tell me a little bit about your relationship then and now. Uh, when Paul first took over, um, the first time we got to meet him, he called me down to his office and he asked me how many times have I broken my nose? So I was like, that's a good introduction. So I had to tell him the numerous times I got uh, my nose broke. 
And then from there, uh, he was my dad and he was my greatest role model and mentor uh, for those teenage years. And he's been my number one go-to person from a coaching perspective. I had the fortunate opportunity after I graduated from the academy, I went through pilot school. I got the opportunity to come back and coach under Paul for about two and a half years and uh, probably the greatest two and a half years of understanding who he was or why. Um, A lot of my coaching the way I do it, uh, yes, a lot of it's from my dad, but a lot of it's from Coach Maneri. And Paul taught me the way of loving and caring about his kids. And, and I think that's the way that I go about doing business is it's true care. And I tell our kids all the time how much I love them because I think it's important. And leadership 101 is to take care of your people and to know your people. And um, that's one thing I try to give back to our kids. It's not just about the game of baseball. And if I'm going to be described, uh, hopefully it's not going to be a baseball coach. You know, you're saying how many games I've won and lost and all that stuff and doesn't really add up when you think about it. Um, but more importantly, I really want to be a true life coach for these kids. And it's not just about the four years they have an opportunity to wear a baseball uniform, but more importantly, impact their lives while they're wearing our nation's uniform. And that continued that relationship far past after they walk across the stage. And that's what I learned from Paul. It's about caring. It's about truly um, uh, motivating and inspiring all these young men. And uh, Paul and I talk with each other. Uh, maybe on a weekly, monthly basis right now. And yes, he's missing it. There's no doubt about it. This has been, you know, 40 years that he did something and now he's stepped aside. Um, But with that, uh, hopefully I can keep him young and engaged. And I asked him right after he stepped down, I said, I have a position open. Coach, you can be my volunteer coach. And uh, he said he needs a couple of years. So hopefully you'll see Paul Maneri back at the Air Force Academy uh, in a couple of years as as, as a coach. Just, just a proud, proud co-host and, and someone being produced. Just a proud man of this show, Danny. This was a good one. Thank you for letting me be a part of it. You killed it. Skeens, ah, just incredible talking to him and Enrique Bradfield. Uh, well done. What, what a fun, yet another rewarding show. I hope everybody just gets a chance to kind of fall in love with the game and the people that play it from literally every corner because – there are a lot of really big schools. We know the big schools, we know the big conferences, but there are a lot of people who play this game and they have really great stories to share and they may never make it, but they deserve to have a chance to have a platform and, and for us to get to share who they are outside of the game. And I feel like we do a really good job of that. And I was so stoked to get Paul Skeens from the Air Force Academy because that's different. And then, Enrique Bradfield Jr. I have been working this for weeks now and we got him and he's he was worth the wait. He was worth the wait. I'm going to clearly be copying Dan Levitard. Sorry, Dan, when I talk about Darren and Friends now because he's got his Levitard and Friends network, though my name's nowhere near this. And I'm glad of that because Perfect Game is the platform. But we're growing our friends. We have more friends coming around in the podcast world. Clint Hurdle is always an entertaining guy he's got a massive smile he's got a ton of joy he's got a huge personality he used to put 13 pieces of gum before every game he managed into his mouth chew them the entire game go back and look at some of his old arguments clint hurdle's new podcast and i'm going to help out with it john and susan walsh are going to help out with it but it's clint it's his passion 13 pieces of bubble gum coming now to the perfect game family of podcasts we, we, Danny, we have a brother and a sister in our family now. It's very exciting. This is a fantastic opportunity to hear from an iconic person. I didn't know that he put 13 pieces of bubblegum in his mouth. I didn't that's know that's where it came yes, that's the name. Genius. I love that. He's going to be great. And every interaction I've had with Clint is positive. You know, he sends out these positivity texts to a lot of people and He's great. I, I'm stoked for it. I'm stoked that we get a little brother or sister, whatever yes. it is, yes, <laughs> to join the family. I'm stoked. Yeah. With first two podcasts, just keep an eye for them. Uh, Jenny Finch, special guest, episode one, PG All-American and Rocky's first round pick, Benny Montgomery, episode two. Heavy so hitters. good start for that one. We're not going to go even into the same room that this podcast goes, folks. It's not going to sound close to it. I think it's my goal to get as far old school and new school into the same room as I can every single week. That's kind of my goal. And Clint can walk both sides of that fence, certainly, 
And Danny didn't mention the wall. Clint sends out positivity texts, you know, once a week to all of us that are on the chain. I actually send out negativity checks and uh, tests and, and, and different notes to folks Put just to make that. sure that they're just not too happy. So right. I, I go level on the other side of things. We got to level it out a little bit. Thank goodness for you. What would we do without you? I have I no know. idea. No, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'd do without this podcast. I mean, I don't do anything on this podcast, but I don't know what I'd do without it. Makes us happy. Please like it, listen. subscribe, listen, share. share with your friends. Please share with your friends. Comment on it. If you hate yeah. it, comment. Please let us know. Taryn needs the negativity to even out the positivity. <laughs> we'll see you next time. It's overrated. <laughs>